Right. And what did God say in the Old Testament to Israel? Don't find out how the people worship their gods. Because what you'll do is you move over and you'll begin to put part of that into your stuff and you'll mix it together, which is happening all over the world. We travel all over the world doing seminars. And you have this syncretism that takes place where they take Christianity, demonic, they put it together, and they come up with answers. And it's just tragic. I just, these missionaries from Indonesia that I was talking to, they're having terrible time. You remember the, the great revivals in Indonesia? And if you've seen um, Peace Child or read the book and all that and the great moving, now the problem is with the teenagers. They're having tremendous problems with these teenagers of these cannibals that are now, you know, because it's been Christianity, their second generation. It's just awful what's going on there. And there's a real going back to spirits. I deal with a lot of Indian groups. It's amazing the revival in America of Indian religion, which is strictly going back into spirits. I'll be going to Alaska to speak to three mission groups working with the Ayut Indians. And uh, I never thought I'd get involved with any of In fact, I never thought I'd get involved in any of this. I'm too conservative. This is not my thing. <clears throat> I went to a Bible school and we were taught this couldn't happen. Let me turn this on. Is it going? Okay. I was taught that this couldn't happen. <clears throat> and um, so for years I believed that it was impossible for Christians that God put a glass dome over us. And we weren't involved in spiritual warfare. We could just go through life and... It, you know, I used to teach a premarital counseling class in Bible college, and I said, you know, uh, Cinderella is the only person who ever lived happily ever after, and she's dead. <clears throat> you know, the rest of us have to work at it. You know, it just doesn't happen. We have to make our marriages work. They just don't work. And so uh, I just believe that we kind of go through life, and, you know, and somehow we have these angels all around us or something, and no problem. And uh, for seven years, I was uh, vice president and over the personnel for Child Evangelism Fellowship, which is a mission that works in 110 or 120 countries of the world. And all of a sudden, my eyes are open that the enemy's alive and well in Africa. But, you know, we're Swedes and Norwegians and, you know, come on, you know, we're Americans. Africa's fine and the Pacific is fine and down in South America, that's fine too, but not here, you know. And I was really blinded, and God really brought a very traumatic situation in my life. You couldn't miss. It was a missionary that was horribly defeated, and God opened my eyes that this was real. So, um, oh, I did it. Attach the microphone to yourself. This is as close to the south as I <laughs> Oh, well. Hi, thank you. You're going to save my voice. <clears throat> Be all this dead space on the on the recording. I wonder what what happened. Silent prayer. Silent prayer yeah. <clears throat> But I've been involved in this kind of ministry for um, about nine years now. And um, as I got more and more involved and missionaries came from other missions, finally I told the mission I had to resign. There was no way I could stay. I was spending all my time helping full-time Christian workers who were being tremendously defeated. And that um, I, um, I really needed to, to leave the mission but I didn't know um, where I was going to go or whatever. And I told the president, and I really feel that God is going to move me out, but I don't know where. And then I got a call and, and got involved full time. But I would like to uh, share with you um, some scriptures, and I hope that this will be a very profitable time. We've had a lot of prayer that this will be beneficial to you in the area of warfare as we move through some of the ways the enemy attacks, uh, how the enemy gets an advantage over a Christian, how to take that back that advantage, and then how to maintain a walk of victory. It's very important. We've, the last day, we've counseled people three hours a day for five days. And uh, we've had people that, uh, the first real bad one that I had, Bill Gothard sent me, and said, Jim, this will test whether or not, you know, you can help this girl. 
And she, her father taught in a Bible college. She was 13 years old. They had spent $74,000 on counseling. She had seen 16 different psychiatrists and had been admitted in two years, and this was all in a two-year period, had been admitted to six uh, medical, uh, you know, Minnithermeyer, those kinds of places, admitted to those hospitals with nothing. None of it worked. And so we've gotten some very, very severe people right out of mental hospitals, and their problem was not mental. Sometimes people have multiphasic problems where there is a spiritual problem along with a mental problem. Sometimes it's all mental, but not very much, and sometimes it's all spiritual. It's really a spiritual problem. And so it's been exciting to see what, what God is doing and God is working. Our board members, if you would look at our board members, uh, the who's who in the zoo and, and, and spiritual warfare, um, Dallas Theological Seminary, Moody Bible Institute, Talbot Theological Seminary, and, and um, Tacoma Falls Bible College, um, can't even think of all the schools. Um, the Evangelical Free School up at Trinity. And you name it, you look at all these different professors and everything. And so it gives us credibility that we're very, we're conservative, but yet we believe that the enemy is very real. I want you to open your Bibles to, um, I think it's Matthew. And we want to um, begin to look at you know, we can, we can give you spooky stories, uh, and I don't want to do that, because what's the point? Um, you hear those stories, you're going, well, that's not my problem, you know, I don't rip my clothes off, and I don't break chains, and, um, you know, I'm not like Mary uh, Magdalene, I haven't been a prostitute, so seven demons had to be cast out of me, you know, that, that's not my thing, I'm just an average Christian going through life, and so I want to do more on the average, you know, what about the average person? The Apostle Paul said, every single one of us wrestles the forces of darkness. So the issue is not, are you wrestling with the enemy? The issue is, are you winning or are you losing? Isn't that the issue? The issue is not the, the battle, because Paul said we're all in that battle. He included himself in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, for we wrestle not. And it's interesting, the verse before and the verse after, he says, you need to put on the armor, you need to put on the armor, but we Russell. So he included himself with the Christians there. And you know Paul did. Look at Corinthians. There was a thorn in the flesh who, who delivered it to him. A demonic spirit. Remember that? He saw it as a gift of God, but brought by the enemy. And you look at that whole thing. So there's uh, warfare is a very vital issue. I want you to turn to uh, Matthew 16. Let's just pray that God would give us understanding. I had a fellow I was counseling. I was going to go to Bible school I never, because I'd never seen the guy before. And and he was sitting there, and usually when someone has a horrible demonic problem and they really begin to check out, you can tell they're checking out. Their eyes, you know, go off into nowhere. You think they're on drugs or you start seeing tension in the neck or something. This kid isn't there. He's right there. He's right with me. And I don't know. You ever get a, you know, uh, the kids at the college just say, how do you counsel? I said, by the seat of your pants. That's all I can say. You just get this feeling and, yeah. and I just asked a question. It was out of the blue. And I said, who am I talking to? I mean, I'm telling you this because this is the third day I'm counseling. I've been with him six hours already, probably eight hours now. I mean, you know, th three hours a day. I see two hours, but somehow I had a feeling that no one was home, and yet he was. I mean, there was no sign that no one checked out. I said, who am I talking to? And a voice spoke out of him and said, fooled you, didn't we? We thought we'd get through this whole week, and you'd never get to him. I went, oh, brother, was I ever deceived. So I finally got the kid back, and he would go to church, and that would happen. And he thought that was normal. You go to church and walk out and can remember what the pastor preached on? He thought that was everybody. You read the Bible and you don't get, you don't get anything out of the Bible, do you? Now here he's going to go to Bible school, sitting there, checking out a very class. I mean, how could he pass? And yet he could check into anything that wasn't scriptural. But when it was biblical, all of a sudden, you hear it says, Satan, what? Blinds the mind to truth. And he just wasn't getting anything. So, you know, I mean, he wasn't drastic. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't into horrible bondages, and we get those. You know, he wasn't having a lot of emotional problems, but he felt this, that how could you sit in church and walk out and not even remember what the guy said? Somehow it didn't seem right to him. And so when he talked to me, he was going to go to Bible school, he was so not severe that uh, I thought maybe I shouldn't have, because we're booking in November right now. I mean, I'm booking counselees in November, so if, you get, if you're drastic, you're going to have to go someplace else because we, we just can't take people. We're just way, always, always months. Close would be three months three, four, five months, sometimes six months ahead. But most people's problems are long-standing, and it came to the conclusion this can't be right. 
You know, this God said I could be free. I'm not free. So let's just pray that the enemy won't blind the mind of truth or steal truth out of the heart. There's two things he does that we're told he does, you know, that the enemy does. Father, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would um, just, with your the angelic uh, host of heaven, would provide special protection that as we look into the Word of God, that you would speak to our hearts, the Holy Spirit might make things real to us, and we might have a real understanding of the warfare issues. And we thank you, Father, for what you want to teach us and what we can learn. And we ask this that you be glorified. Amen. If you didn't bring your Bibles, and we always teach out of a Bible, because to me, warfare is such a... For some of you, it's like, oh, I know that. But other people are going, is this really real? And I'd have been, if it's really real, eight years ago. In fact, I wouldn't have come to something like this. Because everybody in here would be kind of kooky. You know what I'm saying? Kind of weird. I mean, why would you want to go to a sit-in with a bunch of weird people? I'd go to Little Bear or something. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm one of those squeaky ones. When I walk, you'll hear it. I squeak. Um, but John 10.10, 10, we're not going to look at that. We wanted you to go to Matthew and stay there. But put down John 10.10. 10. John 10.10 10 is Satan's goal for the Christian. Jesus said, Satan comes, but for three reasons, steal, kill, and destroy. So every attack of the enemy is going to steal, kill, or destroy. That's what he does. That's, that's his goal. In fact, when I would speak to the, the Campus Crusade kids, I would say, you know, Satan has a wonderful plan for your life. If you know how the Crusades open up their stuff and they take out their pins and stuff and they start laughing because that's their approach. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, Satan has a plan for your life too. The first thing he wants to do is steal. Now, um, I'm having the privilege to stay with a family that I know here. I'm not staying in the hotel. But if someone would break into your hotel room or your house while you're here, what would they steal? You know, would they go, first of all, to the laundry chute? Probably not, unless you've got real weird neighbors. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not where they would go. They want to steal something of what? Of value. Well, what do you have of value that Satan wants to steal from you? And let me tell you what I think it is. I mean, there's a lot of things, but just basically, I believe, he wants your life to be so messed up that it has no eternal significance. I, mean, I get all wrapped up in my problems, all wrapped up in me, and I never reach out. And he's robbing me that my life is going to make any dent for eternity. You know what I'm saying? We just kind of flow through messed up. See, I believe through, through my study, and I've tried to study very hard. I, I read the Bible through, the New Testament through. I can't tell you how many times, marking every warfare verse, went through, did a Greek word study and all the key words, then went back to the Old Testament, read it five or six or seven times, marking every warfare passage, doing Hebrew studies. If I didn't understand, I'd call some of the professors I work with. I didn't want to go down an alley. I wanted to stay true to the Word of God. I wanted to be biblical. It's a biblical issue. It's got to be here. And when you get outside of that, you're in trouble. When you start building on something that, that you hear spoken out of the mouth of somebody, because I've heard demons speak out of people, but they're liars. And am I going to believe what they're saying? I'm in trouble if I believe what demons are saying. And um, so we want to stay in Scripture and stay right on. And I believe that spirits are only spirits of influence. I do not believe they're spirits of control. But I've seen people controlled by spirits. Okay? I mean, some of you, are, if you're into warfare counseling, you're saying, you haven't seen anybody controlled by spirits? Oh, absolutely. I've had people try to kill me. Threaten to kill me. I had a youth pastor who was going to kill me. Three times that week he was going to kill me. It's very interesting, but he couldn't. He, first time I was sitting close and he just reached up to rip my throat out. He just reached his hand up and said, rip your throat out. And he had his hand right up. And I said, you can't touch me. I'm in Christ. The wicked one touches me not. And I'm usually jumpy. I didn't jump. I praise God. I didn't even jump. You know, I mean, someone grabs for your throat. You know, and they're a lot younger and they don't need any enemy help to beat you up. I'm an old grandfather. You know, <laughs> this young youth pastor, but He's in seminary now. He's doing really good. But God is my protector. We pray God's protection, and I believe God's going to protect me. And once somebody leaps on me and I hit the floor, I'm out of there. And I'm not going to do that kind of a work. I'm too old to wrestle demonized people. You know what I'm saying? It's, God, you've got to protect me because once they grab me, that's it. You know, I'm through. I'll do something else. I'll home educate. Something easy. I'll do something <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> the second thing is 
the enemy wants to kill. Now, I know he can steal our peace, he can steal our love, he can steal a lot of things. But I just think, in essence, it's my eternity, that my life doesn't have eternal significance. I get wrapped up in self. Um, in fact, I, I told you I believe spirits are spirits of influence. Well, I was in the, uh, speaking to the Hickory Apaches, who are descendant of Geronimo. And I was speaking in this church, and I said, now I want you to do what I tell you to do. And the Apaches looked at me, they're very stoic, and I said, I want you to turn around and I want you to throw the person sitting behind you. And the Apaches just looked. I said, I guess you didn't hear me. I said, I want you to turn around and I want you to make a fist and I want you to slug the person sitting behind you. Now, when I said that the Sioux Indians, they all laughed. One guy said, well, I wish my mother-in-law was behind me. <laughs> so they could say, Logan made me do it, right? You know? And then I said to the Hickory Apaches, I wouldn't go to this church. This is a terrible church. And they're looking at me. I mean, this is my second night. They really not sh haven't got used to me yet. And they're going, what is this? what's with this guy? First he wants me to hit people. Now he's telling me this is a terrible church. I said, this is a terrible, terrible church. I said, I would never go to a church where everybody had violent thoughts of hitting people. See, what did I do? I put thoughts in their mind, and then what do I tell them? They were terrible for having them. And how many Christians are buying into that? That's what the enemy does. And they buy into that, and they receive all these accusations and all this stuff. They get wiped out, you know, Satan is the accuser. But um, the second thing the enemy wants to do is he wants to, he cannot take my life without God's permission. But what he'll do is to put the thoughts in your mind to do it for him. And I can't tell you the, when people call the number of Christian people, and I counsel a lot of homeschool families. I speak to you know, these homeschool things. I spoke for Mike Ferris in Washington, D.C., where all of the leaders were. And so I go to different states. I've, the, you ought to go to the, the one that's like yours instead of Chio. Go to the Chia. It's at Disneyland. <laughs> and you stay in a Disneyland hotel. So it's, 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 a, it's a big, big homeschool one, too. And so I, I counsel a lot of homeschool families. Just a lot of the families call are in a homeschool situation. They're all, everybody I counsel are Christians. There's no point helping someone that's having enemy problems that's not a believer. Because they need Christ in them for power against the enemy. So the enemy, so many of these people believe that they're hopeless. Their situation's hopeless. And when I believe it's hopeless, I've got one or two choices. Check out or give myself over to it. Right? I can't tell you how many, 90% of the people I counsel are men that fly in there. And 90% of the 90% are bound in sexual addictions of some sort. And they can't get victory. They've tried everything. And it's amazing. I'm becoming a sex counselor, and I never thought I would with enemy involvement. But it's so neat to see, and we're having medical doctors and lawyers and judges coming to freedom. I do a lot of seminars for, for legal people and uh, uh, seminars for medical doctors. And we get calls and so on. And so uh, it's really interesting to see that these different professions are seen. I'm defending a fellow, and I know there's enemy involvement here. Or the doctor says, I know there's another problem involved here in, in, in this situation. The last one is in the area of destroy, and that's relationships. The enemy is the destroyer. He's destroying churches. He's destroying families. Families are falling apart in America, are they not? They're just crumbling all over the place. Satan's alive and well in the United States and is wiping out so many families. They're just having unbelievable problems. Um, so those are the, that's the three goals of Satan, that this is what he wants to do. I believe the purpose of his attacks is found in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where it says, let us run the race with patience and let us focus on who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And what does Satan want me to focus on? My problems, my circumstances, or self. He doesn't want me to focus on Christ. And so the attacks of the enemies to get my, my, my focus off of Christ onto something else. And if your shoes hurt, it's hard to think of anything but your feet. And when you're under enemy attack, it's very hard to keep your focus where it belongs. It's so easy to focus on what's going wrong. They were sharing how much attack that's happened on this conference just this last week. And I said, man, am I getting here? If, there's any, if, if the struggles I've had getting here is any indication of what you guys have gone through, it's been 
you've really gone through it here. I mean, they just, last minute, canceled all the speakers' rooms. But there's a real safe park down here where we, we got blankets and pillows and we all slept on a bench <laughs> down there. <laughs> Identifying with the street people here. Um, go to Matthew 16. <clears throat> you want to see some just basic things in warfare. You know, I would encourage you to teach your children warfare. A friend of mine who teaches in just a fantastic Bible college, they have a little three-and-a-half-year-old that they were teaching spiritual warfare. And uh, she had been, or he had been misbehaving. So the mom told him to go in his bedroom, and she walked into the bedroom, and he looked at her, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave. <laughs> and she said, it's not going to work. <laughs> Probably have the right idea, right? Yeah. <clears throat> in, um, in Matthew 16, we have Jesus, as he spoke to Ming, a large groups. He was not able to get a lot of feedback. And so the disciples were out in the groups, and he said, you're listening and you're hearing. What's their conclusion? Who do they say that I, the Son, am? And, am? and they said, well, some think you're a resurrected prophet or this and that and the other thing. And then he said, all right, but, all right, fellas, who do you say that I am? You know, that's who they say, but who do you say? And you have Peter's answer in verse 16 of Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, was that a right answer or a wrong answer? It was a right answer. Jesus said something in the very next verse. If he hadn't have said it, we would not have known this. He gives us a tremendous insight. He said, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now what did he tell Peter? He said, Peter, you spoke out a thought, but let me tell you, that thought did not originate in your head. It's not something you figured out. God put that truth in your mind, and you spoke out God's truth. That's a tremendous statement. I think it pretty much excited Peter. Wouldn't it be exciting if Jesus said, you know, you just spoke directly from a revelation God gave you? That'd be wonderful. And so later on, Jesus talks about going to the cross in the same chapter. Then he needs to be crucified and raised again the third day and so on. And then in verse 22, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And Jesus says another insight here where that thought came from. And he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Peter. No, get thee behind me who? Satan. He said, Those thoughts, Peter, came from Satan. You just spoke out for the enemy. Now, you're going to see in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5, in Ephesians 6, he makes it very clear. We do not wrestle, what? Flesh and blood. But let me tell you this. I have been hurt more by flesh and blood than I ever have by any spirit. And these flesh and blood people were what? Energized by the enemy. Now, we usually look at Job, because Job had real demonic problems. And we go through his testimony that God gives of Job. But he said, Job, and we'll just, just believe me, because we don't have that kind of time. But in Job chapter 1, twice God gives us his testimony of Job. In Job chapter 2, he gives it again. So when God gives, you know, it's not your testimony of you that counts. It's what's God saying about you in heaven that counts. What is, what's your testimony in heaven? And he said, Job, you know, was one of the wealthiest men in the Bible. And he said, you know, that Job was honest in all his business dealings. He said, I've looked at his moral life and he's morally pure. That's two really excellent things, right? He said he lived in the fear of God. He lived every day knowing that how he raised his family and how he lived would reflect on a holy God. So he's very much concerned about God's reputation, not his. The last thing it said about Job is Job had a hatred of evil. And you think, well, obviously, this guy is not going to have demonic problems, is he? Right? And Satan says, but Job has a temporal value problem, he accused he said, yeah, why does Job follow you? It makes sense. Look at you. Blessed him. He has, he has a lot of things, a lot of stuff. We just moved from a big house to a smaller house. Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says you're supposed to build bigger barns. Remember that? It says you keep going to bigger barns. I can't believe all the things that we have, right? They're good things, important things. Now, what do, what do we use this for? <laughs> you know, we're packing it away. Unbelievable. We're very thing-oriented in America, right? They got us caught up in that whole thing. 
So, you know, uh, he said, you touch Job's things and you'll see what Job is really made of. He'll curse you to your face. Go ahead, touch his stuff. Okay, did you park a car out there? Anybody got a new car parked out there? Some kids, you know, there's a, there's a real neat way you walk by with a key on a paint job on a car. You ever seen kids do that? You put a key and you walk by like this and hold it up to the car and walk because it's not painted that deep. You may have a new pinstripe on your car. What are you going to do? I... Um, when I was teaching in Bible college, I, I like to be a different kind of Bible teacher. So we had uh, a course of master degree in, in, in undergrad that could take it together. And I gave a test, and I flunked everybody. Put an F on it. And my uh, counseling office was way down one end of the hall, and where they got their mail was down at the other end of the hall. And uh, they got their mail after chapel, and I watched them open their mailbox, and this kid pulls it out, and he's a straight-A student, looks at it. And everybody's around him, and he gets so angry, he crunches it up, and he throws it on the floor. And everybody kind of backs up, and he just can't believe it. He, you know, he never got an F. Opened it up, looked at it again, crunched it up, threw it on the floor. And I watched some others, and it was quite exciting. It was very revealing. And uh, so they show up at class, and they said, what's going on here? We've checked. We all flunked. I said, no, you didn't. I just put an F on your paper to see um, if you would trade character for a grade. Some of them did. So, you know, when they do your car, get an opportunity to see whether you're really a Christian or not. You know? <clears throat> anyway, um, Job said, you, I mean, Satan said, you'll find out what he's really like. He'll curse God. And when it happened, he knew that God was sovereign, so he worshiped. But who told him to curse God? His wife. Who was energized by Satan? His wife. Since he wouldn't do it, Satan had his wife push him to do it. That's what I'm saying. Often, the people that we do more battling with people that are influenced by the enemy than we do by, you know, the demonic stuff by itself. Especially in our culture where we don't worship spirits. So this is teaching us something very, very important. And that is that thoughts can come from God. Thoughts can come from me, and thoughts can come from the enemy. Is there anyone else in the Bible that, that Satan spoke to and they didn't realize it? Yes, David. It said that David put the thoughts in, I mean, Satan put the thoughts in David's mind to number the children of Israel. Would David had numbered the children of Israel if he didn't know that was coming from Satan? No way. But he didn't realize it. And then Ananias and Sapphira. It's, Peter now has discernment. He says, why did you let Satan fill your heart to lie against the Holy Spirit? But you realize that was of the enemy. That was not something you thought. It was of the enemy. So here we are, and this is the battle that most of us are in, and we want to take this up probably in chapel or whatever they have, the bank, ballroom, on tomorrow as we talk about maintaining a walk of victory. But it's the thoughts. Satan puts thoughts in our mind. God can put thoughts in our mind, and I can have my own thoughts. Now, how do I tell the difference? Because if I let my thoughts control me, and these thoughts are from the enemy, who's going to be controlling me? Because the enemy speaks to me, but if I do what he says, then I'm allowing him to control me. I don't believe the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of control. I don't think you get zonked by the Holy Spirit anymore. You get zonked by demons. Whoever you yield your life to, and the members of your body to, to serve, that's who you're going to be a servant to. If you yield to the voice of the enemy, and you, let, you yield your body to carry that stuff out, then you're going to be a slave to that. If you yield your body to the wooing of the Spirit of God, you'll be a slave to that. But I have to choose. I have to make a choice. Who am I going to yield my body to? Romans 6. Very important for men in sexual bondage that they understand Romans 6. That's the key to freedom for a guy who's in bondage. Uh, and we'll try and get into that. We're going to go through the different things we go through to help someone come to total freedom. So what I need to realize is, how do I tell a difference? First of all, are these thoughts from God? That's pretty easy, isn't it? No way. Right? You know, these thoughts I'm having, there's no way they're from God. So that can rule that out. But how can I tell the difference between enemy thoughts and my thoughts? Well, if um, just a rule of thumb, and that's just generally speaking, and that is, let's say for lunch, you're deciding what you're going to do for lunch today, and somebody says, well, why don't we go to McDonald's? He's going, ah, I don't like Big Macs. I like Hardee's. And then someone says, what about Wendy's? And what about Pizza Hut? And what about whatever, you know? And they begin to name all this stuff. When it's of the enemy, you get stuck with Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. 
Because when they're not your thoughts, you can't turn them off. So when the thoughts are not coming for me, I, can't, I can turn my own thoughts off and on. I can think about what I want to think about, right? So set your mind on things above. So obviously I have control of what I set my mind on. But when I have what we call, quote unquote, intruding thoughts, when we have intruding thoughts in our mind, wow, let me tell you, and it's not for me. We have a number of counselors at our counseling center, and, and sometimes if things get pretty hot and heavy, you can hear through the walls. But you can't turn it off. We have sound screens we turn on that blow molecules up the wall, and then you can't hear, but we have to talk over the sound screen, which kills your voice. So we don't like to turn them on, but if it's distracting, and you can't hear, but you can hear, but not hear, you can't turn it off. Shh. Well, they're on the other side of the wall, doesn't work. And the enemy can do that. And I don't recognize. And until I understand warfare, there's so many people being wiped out with thoughts that they think they're their thoughts. And then they're being accused by it. And it's just they're just having terrible struggles. So if this will help you that the enemy, the battle for the Christian is for the mind. And the enemy puts thoughts in my mind. Every sin you commit is first a thought. We're not zombies and we're not robots. We think about it. We run it through our mind, uh, our will, and our emotions. And uh, that's where the battles are fought, is in our mind. And once we lose there, we're in trouble. Because whoever controls your mind controls you. And if it's the enemy, and you don't realize it, you just watch a person's life go downhill and downhill and downhill and downhill. It's really sad. Uh, I want you to turn to uh, Luke. Uh, Luke 22. It's a chapter with a lot of enemy activity in it. It's the last day of Christ, last days of Christ. And we have in verse 3 where Satan enters Judas. It's interesting, that's the only time I think you'll find in the New Testament where Satan himself actually went into somebody. And then in verse 31, you have the Lord making a statement here. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, then he sift you as wheat. Now this is where we usually go to Job and go through te Job's testimony. But in Job, it's Satan says, yeah, sure, God brought Job up. If you didn't ever rec realize that, Satan did not bring Job up. God said, Satan, where have you been? He said, I'm walking up and down the earth. He said, have you considered my servant Job? He said, no way. And he said, because you've blessed his hand on every side. And then he said this, you've made a hedge, a protection around all that he hath. The only way that Satan could enter the hedge of protection with destructive temptation is with God's permission. It's pretty excellent, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. I don't know if you looked at that one. Look at 1 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. Excellent, excellent verse. I think. Yes, First Thessalonians 3. But the Lord is faithful, who will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. I like that. But you have to want it. Do you want God's protection? Job did. Prayed around everything. Warren Risby said this. He said, when the destructive missiles of the enemy are sent towards me, and I'm on God's side of the hedge, God's hedge of protection, when these destructive missiles pass over the hedge of protection, they're no longer the destructive missile in the hand of Satan. They become the refining fire of God. Isn't that beautiful? And so the key is, what side of the hedge are you living on? I asked the Sioux Indians, and I told you I've done a lot with Sioux Indians and the medicine man and just a lot of demonic stuff on the Sioux Reservation. We had opportunity to deal with the most powerful medicine man's son, who is a New Age, travels all over the world for New Age speaking who received all his father's spirits besides the one he had himself. And I asked these Sioux Indian braves, I said, uh, let me ask you guys a question. I said, you know, I used to love to watch westerns. And you see these wagon trains, you know, on, uh, under attack, and they'd be in a circle, and the Indians would be shooting arrows like crazy. You know, just whoosh, 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 whoosh. I said, is that how you guys did it? And this was their answer. Have you ever made an arrow by hand? You know, obviously, you don't indiscriminately shoot arrows if you know how long it takes to put an arrow together. When a Sioux Indian let go of an arrow, he expected an ouch on the other side. And these guys rode full speed and brought down buffaloes. They were talking about excellent marksmen. 
And I said, I know that they built forts across the west so that the wagon trains could come in at night because the walls there provided better protection than just a circle of wagons. And I said, if a fort was under attack, what side of the walls would you want to be on if it was being attacked by Sioux Indians? And every one of them said, inside. And so the issue today, and what you need to come to grips with, what side of the walls of God's protection are you living on? Right? If I'm outside, what kind of protection do I have? None. And the enemy is just going to keep shooting destructive temptations. And you can only grip the bedpost so long. Because this is a spiritual battle, and you can't wrestle it with just commitment and determination. And those are the guys that are the worst. We get these big executives, you know, the Iacocca type. Well, make it happen. I said, God, you're so defeated. <laughs> you can't. Hey, you got to realize what? God, I need help. That's really hard for some guys, right? You know, I'm tough, I'm manly. We had a run of football players. It's amazing the number of football players we had come through there. You can always tell a football player because he puts one shoulder through the door and then the other one. <laughs> but these guys are rough and tough, you know, and they just they think, I'm going to beat this. And I go, no, you're not. You need the power of God in your life and your pride. It's just not going to let you have victory over this stuff. We're going to see how pride is so devastating. Um, and so... What's interesting in verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, may sift you as wheat. What side of the hedge was Peter living on? Inside. Because Satan asked what? Permission. Was Simon perfect? No. It's, we're not talking about people living some type of perfect life and all of a sudden, you know, they're on the right side of the hedge. It's someone who says, God, I need your protection. And I realize where I've come from. I realize my background. I am so open to enemy attack. See, you'll never be tempted to do what you haven't experienced or what you wouldn't do with any kind of push. We're not. You know, um, anything that you've been defeated with in your life, I don't care if you're as old as I am, older than me, or younger, can be a present defeat in your life at any time because you know what it's like. I had a teenage son. I sat down with him and I told him that sin was pleasurable. And he said, oh, dad. I said, well, that's what it says in Hebrews 11. And I look at these young teenagers. I do a lot of teenagers whose lives are horribly messed up from Christian families, homeschool kids. And I said, I want to tell you, I want to tell you something that sin is pleasurable. And if I told you it wasn't, you ought to walk out. Why do you do it? Why are you caught up in this? Because there is pleasure in sin. Isn't that, isn't that true? Anybody not believe that? And why do people do it? Because it's so painful? <clears throat> no, it's very pleasurable. And they get trapped in this thing. You know, They make some choices, and pretty soon they're in a bondage. Um, there's a good picture of bondage. Look at Proverbs 5.22. If you've never seen a good description of bondage, Proverbs 5.22 is it. Um, Proverbs 5.22 says, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. You know, if I had one of these real strong guys come up here and I put one piece of thread around his thumbs, he could probably pop it. But if I kept winding and winding and winding and winding, pretty soon I've got him. You know, uh, God gave Lazarus life, right? Was he dead or alive when he came out? I think he floated out. And he's standing there. He had life. What was his problem? He was, he was bound up. And someone had to unwind him to let him go free. And there are a lot of Christians who are bound up like Lazarus in sin. And they said, it's bad genes. I said, oh, do you shop at Kmart? Yeah. <laughs> it's a sin issue. It's not a gene issue. If God calls it sin, it's sin, brother. And there's hope for sinners. There's not hope for genetics. Is there? I mean, you can go get different contacts, maybe in different colors, but genetics is hopeless. Well, it's not hopeless. We have a God of hope. And God has the answer for sin issues. I just have to really want to get with where on God's program and decide in my heart, I don't want this stuff in my life. I want to be free. Jesus Christ came to set the captives free, and that included me. 
And I want to be free. I want to experience that freedom. Some people come to freedom by themselves. Some people are too bound and they can't come to freedom by themselves. They can't stay objective. The enemy is so involved that when they start to throw this stuff off, they just start losing it. And so they need someone to keep their nose to the, the stuff and, and to walk through this thing. But let's say you're in my office and you're a cocaine addict. And I've had cocaine addicts. And you say, here, I want to flush this cocaine, but someone's in your toilet and I have to leave. And you flush it for me. So they give it to me and I put it in my desk drawer and I shut the door. Now, for me, the worst thing cocaine could do for me is I wonder why anyone would snuff this up their nose. That's the worst thing it do to me. Why? I've never done cocaine. But if I had done cocaine 30 years ago, and I'm in a cocaine attic, and I look at this stuff, and it's pure, all of a sudden I can come under the, the, the most tremendous temptation. No one's around. All the workers are gone. Just one time. For all time's sake, you know? Just do it. See, and that's why, as homeschool families, I trust you're trying to protect your kids from these defeats. They'll have a lot less horrible battles as adults, right? If they haven't had all the defeats. One father that uh, decided for homeschool is really interesting. He, he's a football player, and he's Italian. And you can put the two together. And he's Italian with a very short fuse. In fact, I don't know if he's got a fuse. He just blows up. <laughs> His daughter came home and told their educational thing in the third grade. They passed a banana and a condom around for the kids to learn how to use them. This guy got in the car, drove to the school, parked in the parking lot, and they heard him inside the building as he was parking the car. <laughs> Samson, he's going to tear that school apart. Well, I don't think they'll do that for a long time, but boy, I'll tell you, that's not the kind of stuff I'd want my kids, or I don't have kids now, I have a lot of grandkids, I don't want my grandkids getting that stuff in second, third grade. And I know that's why you guys have made the choice you made. So protect them as much as you can from as many failures as you possibly can. But don't put them in test tubes because you may turn out an unusual kid. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you can get too isolated. We've seen people really isolate their kids. So the kids can't seem to relate well to other kids. We've seen that extreme. And we've seen other homeschools that the only thing different between them and other kids was that they learned at home, but they ran the streets. You know what I'm saying? That you have those that are too protective and those don't protect enough. Somehow you want to stay in the middle. You know, kind of be in the middle as, as a family. But um, here we have Peter, not a perfect guy, but living inside of God's protection. And verse 32, he said, I pray for thee that thy faith fail not, and when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. So it's a beautiful thought here, and that is, he's saying, Peter, Satan wants to have you, and I said yes. But after the sifting, and someone said, you know why it's important to be sifted? It reveals the bugs. Now, if you haven't lived years ago, but years ago, what happened to flour? Often, it got what? Bugs and stuff in it. So women sifted it to get what? The bugs out. So if God wants me to go through some sifting to get the bugs out, isn't that fine? Do you, you know what chariolets are? I just thought of this. Those, the, they have a, the big something rather, the red with chocolate inside, or chocolate outside with the red stuff on the inside, and they're kind of mounded up with nuts and stuff in it. Well, a friend of mine worked at a movie theater, and uh, she was selling these and, uh, to the people that were coming. They have coconut in them. She was selling them. And so she decided to eat one at the candy counter. She opened up, it was full of worms. But everybody was eating these wormy candy in the dark. Isn't that, isn't that unique? <laughs> no, no. Oh, that was coconut. <laughs> so the moral of the story is don't go to movies. <laughs> you may get something worse than wormy candy. <clears throat> but, um, and so the Lord said yes. And yet when God says yes, when I'm living under his protection, the enemy can only do so much. Remember Satan wanted to take his life or take his health? And he said, can't do that. You can only do this. So it's important that we live in God's sovereignty and trust God to protect us. And if God allows the enemy to work in our life, we know ultimately it's what? For our benefit, for our strengthening, for developing the character of Christ, that, uh, and learning how to walk in victory. How can you walk in victory if there's no battle? Right? What spiritual warfare are talking about? There's got to be some kind of warfare going on, and the victorious Christian life is someone who is standing against the forces of darkness 
that are seeking to, to influence our life and behavior. Um, I'd like you to turn to... Oh, we didn't finish. Verse 53 and 54. It depends on your translation, but you could check it out. So check it out in the Greek. Verse 53 of Luke 22, it says, When I was with you daily in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Or literally, when darkness reigns. And what is he saying? There were two groups that wanted Jesus dead. One group was the religious leaders. The other group was demons. <clears throat> A third of Jesus' public ministry was casting out spirits, and they were sick of it. So the two got together to get rid of Christ. We don't have time to, to do the exegesis or look at 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you, uh, 6, 7, and 8, we're going to go to Colossians, it says in there that had the demons known what was going to happen when they crucified Christ, they never would have done it. When the princes of this world, if they'd have known what was going to happen to them when they crucified Christ, but it was a mystery kept from them. They just missed it. Even in the garden, Satan didn't pick it up. You bruise his heel, but he'll step on your head. Remember? And they, he missed it. He just didn't see it. So you go to Colossians chapter 3, and Colossians chapter 3 is the real outstanding chapter of the defeat of the enemy. Did I say th Colossians 3? How much did you pay to come to this? Hub wasn't a lot as Colossians 2. <clears throat> My wife thinks it's so interesting when I said, well, these three things. <laughs> so I tell people, like, counseling's free, you got your money's worth, <laughs> whether it worked or not. <clears throat> Verse 13. There are three things that Jesus, when he died on the cross, there's three things that, that God took care of. Verse, and these should be in gold. I mean, for warfare, they're just, they're just a tremendous teaching here. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have they quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So in verse 13, the first issue that Jesus dealt with when he died on the cross is a sin issue. How many of your sins were yet future when Jesus died for you? And he forgave how many of them? Oh. Okay, I want you to write these four words down. This is what you do in the counseling. Write four words down in a list. There the are four A's. The first is authority. And then under that, accountability. And then affirmation and acceptance. <coughs> Authority, accountability, affirmation, and acceptance. Just think of that. Uh, authority, accountability, affirmation, and acceptance. As you look at that, how does God come to you? Top down or bottom up? How do you see God? Now, all those are true. Let me tell you, the majority of people that come to see us see God top down. If you see God top down, then you can put one of those little squiggly faces, you know, that go like this to tie the four together. Put performance-oriented. These people are performance-oriented. They're trying to earn God's love, acceptance, and approval. You know what I tell them? You were better off lost. Go, uh, how could you say that? I said, well, it says that God loves sinners. Now, you're, now that you're his child, you've got to earn it. Is that right? Does that make sense to you? No. God's love for me and God's accept I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm not accepted in Jim Logan. When you get to heaven, you say, God, here I am. He goes, who are you? Well, I taught science school. I did all these things. I cast out spirit. Depart from me, right? Ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. You know, we're in Christ. And I'm accepted in the beloved. I have absolute perfect acceptance. I don't have to earn it. I don't have God's approval. Always. He doesn't always approve of what I do, but I have his acceptance. And I can't tell you the people that are on this treadmill and they are absolutely emotionally wore out and the enemy is defeating them because they're trying to earn God's approval. Trying to earn his acceptance. Trying to earn all of this. And they're going like crazy and, and they can't do enough. So when you see people that work a lot, 
They're into this, they're into that. You think, oh, isn't it wonderful? What would we do without them? But what's their motivation? I mean, that's the real key, isn't it? Are they serving the Lord because they're accepted, because, they love, because he loves them and they want to love him? Or are they doing it so he will? If they're doing it so they will, they will drop out of whatever they're in eventually. Because they get tired. They just get wore out. Okay, the, the second one is blotting out the handwriting ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So Jesus fulfilled all of the, the, you know, the Old Testament ordinance, the washing of hands and so on. If you go to a funeral, you're not unclean tonight. All of that was fulfilled. The third thing he did, and here's what's important as far as the demons are concerned. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. There are three things that happened to the spirit world when Jesus died on the cross. And this is what it said in 2 Corinthians. Had they known this, they never would have been involved. They'd have done everything possible to keep Jesus from dying, rather than stirring up the crowds or whatever they did. The first is spoiled principalities and powers. If you watch the thing in the Middle East, Desert Storm, and you saw all of these Arabs that were uh, you know, giving up, <clears throat> what did they do? What was the very first thing they did when these guys gave up? Or what's the first thing that policemen do when they are going to take someone under arrest? What do they do? They take away what? They take away their weapons. That's exactly what it says here. When Jesus died on the cross, he took away Satan's weapons. He was stripped of his weapons. The second thing that happened is that he put them on open display that they were defeated. And it goes back to Bible days. You read Joshua and so on. You find that when they conquered, one king would conquer another king. They would take a lot of the army, all the army or part of the army, tie their hands behind them, strip them down, usually to their underwear or nothing, if you see on Bible pottery, and they paraded them back through the cities. And say, this is what, Cleveland, Cincinnati? Where are we? Columbus. Columbus. They pray it through Columbus and say, you don't need to fear. It's awful when you go to place to place. You don't need to fear the Babylonians anymore. Look, we've got them tied. They're defeated. You don't need to fear them anymore. And so Jesus did the very same thing. He used the same terminology that they used in war. And that is, the enemy has been defeated and he no longer has a right. And you don't have to fear him and you don't have to have allegiance to him. Look it. He's bound. Your allegiance is to the very last one, the one on the horse. Your allegiance is to the victor. Your allegiance is to the one who is leading this parade in triumph. If you ever saw Ben-Hur, the closest picture you could get to it is the fellow that, the, the, the guy that thought he lost the war, the battle, the water battle or whatever it was, and he comes into Rome on this great triumphal entry and they give him a laurel leaf or whatever. That's the picture. And they all understood that in those days. That was going on in those days. Not that Ben-Hur happened. But that kind of thing took place. And that's what they were using. There'd be this big parade. The enemy was defeated. Some of your theologians that are into warfare from some of the major seminaries believe that a token of demons were taken into heaven. And it was great celebration. When Jesus descended and ascended and all that stuff that was going on in Ephesians, some of them feel that the scripture indicates that the enemy was taken into heaven, totally defeated, and all the heavenly hosts rejoiced. Now, whether that happened or not, I don't know. But we do know, I mean, they say that that's what he's referring to here. So whether it happened or not, we know the enemy is totally defeated. Now, you take a look outside and you say, Logan, are you sure this scripture is true? I mean, if Satan's got all his weapons taken away, I mean, why are there so many messed up people? Why are so many of my friends messed up? Why are the pastors running off with ladies and you know, all this stuff going on if Satan's really defeated? Well, the problem lies, and it's explained in Colossians chapter 1. Now, Satan's weapons have been taken away, the scripture said. He's been, been stripped down. The only weapon he has left, you know what it is? It's the lie. The power of Satan is in the lie. And if I believe the lie, I'll come under his power. And we'll start with that when we do our next session. We'll start in Romans 12. I mean, Revelation 12. But we'll finish up here with this. Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and I can't remember, is it Ephesians 3, are the three warfare prayers of the Apostle Paul. They're prayers that he wrote because what's interesting is that 
there was a religion on that day called Artemisism, and that religion was all over the, the, that part of the world. And so Ephesians and Colossians and these were written to counter this teaching. And this teaching had two major tenets. One was they dealt with demons. The second was immorality. In fact, the Ephesus was the headquarters of Artemisism. So if you said Ephesus in Bible days, they go, oh, wow, that's like saying Rome to a Catholic. That's the headquarters of their religion. Ephesus was the headquarters of all the religion of Asia Minor, Artemisism. And they built a temple there that's considered by the architects today as still one of the ten wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. And you worship because they had a thousand prostitutes in that temple servicing men every day. So this is a very wicked, evil religion. In fact, the, you can get Clinton Arnold's book, the, uh, Ephesians, Power and Magic. It's very hard reading. But he gives you the tenets of Artemisism in there. And in that book, you'll find that the teachings of, that they were teaching in those days parallel the New Age teaching today. It is unbelievable how much the similarity from this that was taught at Ephesus and Colossae. And so Paul's praying for them because he's concerned for them. They're involved in demons and immorality and all spirit worship and all this kind of stuff. And so he prayed for them. And I just will jump down to verse 12 and 13. But I'd like for you can read the whole prayer later on. Paul goes on. He says, giving thanks unto the Father which made us meek to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear son. It's interesting, in one verse he talks about saints and light. Next verse he talks about darkness. Now I want you to see this because there's a real key here of what's happening today. If Satan is defeated and we have been delivered from the power of darkness, what is going on? See, look at 13. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness, but beloved, he has not delivered us from the presence of darkness. You got it? This whole world lies where? What does God say? The whole world lies in who? The wicked one. He tells us in Romans 12, don't get caught up in the system of this world because the, the philosophy of this world is being dictated by who? The forces of darkness. So he said, don't get caught up in all this stuff. We're living in a world that's hostile. That's why we're called ambassadors, right? Ambassadors? What's an ambassador? It's an official representative in a foreign country. When I was in Africa, uh, the assistant ambassador of Gabon, who was in Ghana, asked me to come and pray over the children, dedicate them to Christ, and then cleanse their home. And they were moving into a new home. And so we prayed over the children. They got the maid's children. I never saw so many kids. This lady couldn't have that many kids. You know, or else she had, you know, she had them in litters because they were all so about the same age. Well, we prayed over all the kids, and then we drove to the home, and we, it was a, a running out of time. Really a unique house. I had never been in an ambassador's home before, but this was unique. And we went up. The stairway in the middle of the house was as big as this and all open where the wind could blow through, but they had this fancy, you know, uh, they call it those blocks that you can see through. And that was in the middle of the house. And they did a lot, they had terrazzo floor and they had a lot of their big evening meals out there in the, uh, cause it was cooler than in the house. Well, we went up a cement staircase and over the living room, which was as big as this or bigger, where they would entertain, was where he, they had their bedrooms and offices and stuff. Well, that was locked. We couldn't get in because the painters had locked it. And we prayed, put our hand under and prayed. Went across to the where the guests would stay and the children stayed and all the maids and all that stuff were staying. We couldn't get in there. So it was like putting my I put my hand on the door and my interpreter was with world vision, but he was an African because they speak French and I don't speak French. So I'm praying in English. And I had my hand on the door. The be, this is the bedroom section. As I'm praying in English, my hand is being pushed off the door. No one was opening the door, okay? My hand's on the door, and it's being, like, shoved away, and I'm trying to pray. <laughs> you see it with your eyes, it hurts! <laughs> anyway, as, I'm, as I got my hand on the door, and, and my interpreter, he's getting into it. You know, I'm, I'm, pr I'm praying very calmly. <laughs> he's really, whatever he's doing in French, he was getting into it. We got through and he looked at me and he said, there was demons there, wasn't there? I said, yeah, how did you know? He said, I, I knew. 
See, I don't have that kind of a spirit. I mean, some people have a real sensitive spirit. I just look at people's eyes. I've already checked a lot of eyes here already. I check eyeballs because the health of the countenance is in the eyes. And uh, you can usually see enemy involvement in the eyes. Well, uh, and he said, they're Chinese spirits. I said, you're kidding. And uh, so they checked out who lived there before, and it was a Chinese embassy. This guy didn't know it. But he sensed there were Chinese people from, the, from communist China that lived in there, and there was a, a leftover in that home that had to be cleansed out. It's really neat. So the enemy is alive and well on planet Earth. And he's also the prince of the power of the air. And so you and I, God has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness and freedom in Christ in a world that is what? Against us. Satan is your adversary. The adversary in 1 Peter 5, 8 there is one who opposes you. And you're in homeschooling, he's going to oppose you for that, right? I mean, aren't you doing some religious stuff in your homeschooling? I hope. I mean, you're not just teaching these kids to read and write, are you? I mean, if you have to make a choice, let them be illiterate but spiritually strong. <laughs> if you've got to make a choice, choose the spiritual. Yeah. Father, we just thank you for this time. And we've seen some things. We've seen the enemies alive and well on planet Earth, that the whole world lies in him, that he can put thoughts in our mind, and uh, you've told us to cast them down and not allow thoughts that are not from you or proper thoughts to control us. And we're thankful that Satan's already defeated. We can't defeat him today because you defeated him 2,000 years ago. And we pray as we walk through and work through these issues that we'll learn how to appropriate the victory of Christ in our life on a daily basis and that we might walk truly in the freedom that is rightfully ours as your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.